It uh, cannot be bought either with money or price. Uh, it's something that you acquire over a long period of time. And uh, we've been around for a while, Yvonne and I. We are now in our shining 70s. Uh, of course, she's just crossed the borderland uh, of 70 uh, a month ago. But uh, you're not supposed to tell a woman's age, but... Uh, I know she doesn't look like it, but anyhow, we're delighted to be here. Uh, There's so much that we identify with in all the ministry that we have heard about, because we also have very much a missionary interest. If I live to the month of May, it will be 53, 54 years since I began to preach. So I've been around for a while. I started when I was 19, and now I'm 72. And that has taken us to many different places with this glorious message of the gospel of redeeming love and grace. And we have so enjoyed all our experiences of sharing the message with people beyond the Emerald Isle. We live in a very beautiful island, the island of Ireland, and we live at a beautiful seaside resort, and you are very welcome to come, but not all at the same time. Uh, It's lovely to renew fellowship with Patrick and Pam, the Davis family who came through our way some years ago, and uh, we heard about Elizabeth, their daughter, was in touch with Wesley, our son, and his family this morning already. By now, of course, it is uh, four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon back home, but they are praying for us here uh, today. Uh, talking about missionary interest, not only in our own lives, but also in the life of our eldest of three, Wesley and uh, his wife. They're involved in an amazing ministry. And if you want to go on the internet and check with Emmanuel, Emmanuel with an I, EmmanuelStudios.com, you will see something of a ministry that goes out from a small porta cabin in the backyard of uh, Wesley's uncle, my brother-in-law, who is now 78 years of age and who has dedicated the greater part of his life to producing Bible stories and also the stories of great missionary statespeople. And I have in my hand the story of David Livingstone, the pioneer missionary and explorer, of course, in Africa. And this is now going out in 12 to 14 different languages. Wesley has now just produced uh, the, a number of lessons in Polish, and he's working on other lessons as well, because just over a year ago, he came alongside his uncle uh, to share in this amazing ministry and to take it further than John has ever thought it could go, and is now uploading it onto the internet. And within the past two, three weeks, the Hungarian, French, English, and of course others, as time permits, will go up on the internet so that if you contact Wesley, he'll give you the security code. You can download it onto your website, your church, and any person in the congregation then can pick up on these wonderful stories and listen to them or have them for a presentation. Our daughter, Carol, who was next in line to Wesley, and her husband, Andrew, spent a number of years working with the street kids in Mexico City, along with OMS, One Mission Society. Uh, They established a work there, a rehab center. They worked reaching out to street kids, young people, and then they handed it over to a team of nationals who are doing an amazing work. They came home about eight, nine years ago, and they went back again with their three children just this past uh, uh, autumn, fall period of time, uh, or summer last, to see the work. 
and to be amazed at how it is continuing to carry on. So that's a little bit about our interests in missions. We thank God for missionary ministry. I know that the time goes so very quickly, and someone said, well, if you don't strike oil within 10 minutes, stop boring. So I'm really not going to want to bore you to death or allow you to fall asleep, but I want you to listen to a very few verses from the Gospel according to St. John and chapter 4. In the creedal uh, studies which you are doing, I understand that you're doing Jesus, Son of God. John's Gospel, of course, particularly highlights the deity of the Lord Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And from that then there issues out a whole wonderful Gospel presenting Jesus as the Son of God. Over 25 times, I think, that title is used in John's Gospel. And the purpose of John's Gospel is so that people, when they would read it, would come to realize that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing on Him they might have life through His name. That's a pretty good purpose for writing any book, isn't it? And I'm so thankful today that the Holy Spirit inspired John to give us this great book where the Lord Jesus is shining forth in all his wonderful uh, deity and all his glorious power. But in John chapter 4, for uh, just a very brief reading, uh, let's uh, turn to uh, chapter 4 and uh, let's read from verse 29. John chapter 4, verse 29. And I'm reading from the authorized version here, but you'll have on the screen uh, the the reading perhaps today. But if not, well, let me just read with you. Uh, John chapter 4 and verse 29. And the woman uh, who is the evangelist here, who is the missionary here, is a woman who never really met Jesus until that very day the woman of Samaria. And it says, She left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. This is the verse. Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And that's what we've been doing this morning, isn't it? We've been rejoicing together, listening to all these uh, individuals sharing of the different ministries that they're involved in, and then those who are engaged in real mission. Uh, outreach like the the couple or three special uh, couples that we have just introduced you to as well today, that we rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. 
I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. Amen. And may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Some years ago, I was suffering a lot of discomfort because I needed a hip replacement uh, joint. Uh, Justin wasn't around in those days. So, praise the Lord, God provided another one. Uh, One night when I was particularly afflicted with discomfort, I got up out of bed, went downstairs, and I had a book there that I just received uh, not long before. It was around 2 o'clock in the morning, 2 a.m., and I thought I would read the book. Of course, the title of it allows you not to go to sleep before we kill you and eat you. And for the next two and a half hours, I read a book that kept me from sleeping. It is an amazing story about a couple, a young couple, who went to be missionaries in Liberia in West Africa from this wonderful country. They were Harry and Ruth Garland. Now, you do not know them because they lived before any of us were ever alive. But they went as a young couple, and she arrived a few uh, months after Harry had preceded her. Arrived on the 21st of June, I think it was, or thereabouts, of a particular year. And they were married three days later in Liberia, and then began their united ministry together. God had called them to reach the headhunters of Liberia. Hence the title, Before We Kill You and Eat You. No one had ever done that before. No one had ever gone to reach these savage people. But God burdened the hearts of Harry and Ruth. And when they went to reach this tribal people, God gave them tremendous success so that these people, who were in the state that they were in, were gloriously reached for the Lord Jesus Christ and transformed by that glorious message that Christ Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. As I read the book, I read a remarkable statement in the introductory part of the book, which I really uh, felt I had a message that I could share out of that. And it, of course, sprang to my mind whenever Marshall said, it's a mission Sunday. We're going to be thinking about missions. And thinking about the greatest missionary that ever trod this earth, the Lord Jesus, We read in this chapter, John chapter 4, right at the beginning of the chapter, where it says, He must needs go through Samaria. And it's that significant, emphatic statement. You might say, well, why so? Was it normal for a Jew to pass through Samarian territory? But it was because there was someone there that Jesus knew, because he was the Son of God, and knew that she existed, and knew she was there. And as he sat by the well at Sychar, this lady from the city came along to draw water. And as he began to engage her in conversation, he leads her along so beautifully in the the narrative of the story, and it's almost like he's peeling layers off an onion in her life, because he gets deeper and closer in until she begins to feel he knows more about me than I ever knew about myself. 
Yes, you have had five husbands, and he whom you now have is not your husband. And she said, In that saidst thou truly. And God was beginning to open up her conscience and her heart, and she said, I perceive that you are a prophet, the Messiah. He said, I that speak unto you am he. And there's missionary vision on the part of the Savior. He wanted to reach one woman. And where we go in the world to reach people, whether we reach one or many, everyone is precious. There were many Samaritans. All of them were precious to the Lord Jesus. There was no racial barrier or creedal barrier between them and him. As far as their need was concerned, he saw them as a reachable people. But by reaching one, he then began to reach many. And it's not how many we reach sometimes. It's the strategic significance of the ones that we do reach that then can amazingly turn great doors wide open because someone said, great doors swing on small hinges. Jesus reached one woman at the well, and through it she said, Come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? The disciples had returned. They had been in the town buying bread. And as they came back, he said, I have meat to eat that you do not know of. They said, has someone given them something to eat? And at that point in time, I think I see them in my mind's eye as they look up the roadway, and here is this lady coming, and many are coming out of the city, walking behind her, traveling out to the well to see what this person, who this person is. And then the Lord Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. And whilst it may have been harvest, and there may have been that natural kind of context to what he said, I think he saw a greater harvest, a harvest of people walking down the road. And he said, it's harvest time. And friends, it's harvest time. If ever it was harvest time, now is harvest time in the world. And whilst in Western Christendom there is a a laxity and a lukewarmness and a dilution of uh, evangelism and uh, and and the depth of it in the Eastern world and in China and in Africa and other countries and even in Iran, God is doing amazing things. We met a young man a couple of weeks or three ago in Edinburgh. His name is Solomon. He came from Pakistan. He had played on the national hockey team of, uh, of Pakistan. He's now coaching our grandson in hockey uh, in Edinburgh. But Solomon has been wonderfully converted. And he said, you know, Pastor, he said, in Christmas time past, I had a hundred people, Muslims, Sikhs, and Hindus, he said, gathered in Edinburgh for a Christmas event, and he preached, he said, we preached the straight gospel to them. And God is working in their lives, bringing them to the cross of Jesus. What an amazing and wonderful young man, radiant. And he said in Pakistan, when they give us an alternative, deny or die, we always say, die. Never deny. Always die. 
But getting back to the story about the garlands, in the book I read this phrase, and here's the first point. We have a humanity that is too precious in the sight of God to neglect. We have a humanity that is too precious in the sight of God to neglect. The preciousness of a man or a woman to God is beyond our comprehension. The value of life is so important. Someone shared on the screen about the importance of the unborn child. Unborn children are dispensable. They are a thing to many people in a modern society. But to the people of God... They are not things. They are people to be saved, to be rescued, to be preserved, whose lives do have value. And when Cain slew Abel at the very beginning of human history, we see the value that God put on human life. He said, where is Abel your brother? How do I know, said Cain, am I my brother's keeper? Oh, said the Lord, the voice of your brother's blood is calling to me from the ground. Abel's blood was valuable in the sight of God. Do you know why? Because he is made in the image of God. And you and I are created in the image of God. And that gives us inestimable value. No other level of God's creation is on a level of our level. We are unique. He has stamped his image. Though through the fall it may have become perverse, by the grace of God and the preserving of the hand of God, it's not totally eradicated. There is a worshiping capacity there that the Holy Spirit reaches out to, and people like you and others who are involved in ministry are reaching out to people who are reachable. Reachable. And the Lord is working through your lives, and He will continue to do so as you are led by Him. The preciousness of individuals. Harry and Ruth Garland believed that the head-hunting savages of Liberia were precious to God. And they were prepared to put their lives on the line to reach the head-hunters of Africa. God may never call you into such an environment. But my dear people, wherever God calls you to serve Him, He's calling you because the people He's calling you to are valuable to Him. And you are valuable to Him. I don't know you at all today. Certainly know Justin and Marshall from their small little boys and their family and praise God for the, the connection that has gone through the years. But I don't know you, but the Lord knows you and there's no one that is without value. No one that is without value. You are a precious jewel, so very rare. He gave just everything to make you his own. God has a plan for you. And I trust today that we see humanity as precious in the sight of God. Too precious to neglect. 
We have a remedy, or we know a remedy for the ills of the world that is too wonderful to withhold. That was the second statement. We know a remedy for the ills of the world that is too wonderful to withhold. God has given to us a treasure. He has given to us a message. He has given to us a champion himself. And he says, I want you to go in my name. And I want you to tell people about me. I want you to bring before them the radical wonder of the cross. The radiant cross. Dr. Paul Rees, whom I very much love and uh, read much of his writings from time to time, he had a sermon on the radiant cross. And it was John Bowering who wrote a wonderful hymn, In the Cross of Christ I Glory, Towering o'er the wrecks of time, All the light of sacred story Gathers round its head sublime. And regardless of where Yvonne and I have gone in the world, whether it be to India or Africa or come here or go wherever we have gone in all the years we've been serving the Lord together, over 45 years now in double harness, heading for the 46th milestone. My dear friends, the glory of the cross, the transforming radiance of the cross, what a change it brings in people's lives. A few years ago we were in Ethiopia at a convention at Sodo. In the city of Sodo, there are about 100,000 people. 90,000 of those people will be in God's house on the Lord's day. And 85% of the church of Ethiopia is under 35 years of age. And the final day of the convention, there were 70,000 people in the convention. Some of them had been traveling, walking for days sleeping at night in churches on the way or with friends. And they weren't there for an hour. The church service started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Before 8 o'clock, when we left our little apartment on the old uh, Sudan Interior Mission uh, Station where we were staying, our little house with a cloth pulled across the window for a curtain, we heard the sing begin up in the big camp area underneath the canvassing out in the open. And the service stopped at quarter past four in the afternoon. Without cessation. Yvonne went home and had her lunch and I came back and the service was still going on. Singing, praising, preaching, ministry, and the church is growing by one million people per year. A million a year. That since 1991, the end of the dictatorship, which had run from about 1974, and there's a book about it, Fire on the Mountain, <laughs> I tell you. And the remedy for the ills of Ethiopia is the remedy for the ills of America. The answer is the same because the need is the same. And the remedy is the blood of Jesus. Someone spoke, I met a brother in India who was suffering from cancer, and he said, God spoke to me one night, and he said, he spoke to me about the chemotherapy of the blood and the radiation of the cross. Hallelujah. Praise God, we have a remedy for the ills of the world, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, 
goes deeper than the stain has gone. It saves from the guilt of an unforgiven past. It cleanses from the impurity of an impure heart. And it saves and sanctifies holy and brings us all the way to glory. And still in heaven our theme will be the precious, precious blood. The third thought is this. We have a Christ who is too glorious to hide. We have a Christ who is too glorious to hide. When he came along the road and he sat down by the, the well-sided Samaria, outside the city of Samaria, she didn't know who he was. But before she left and before that day expired, she knew that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. <clears throat> Many years ago, there was a brother who was serving the Lord, and he was in a church, and it was an Anglican church, and it was pretty dead. wasn't much life in it, but they were saying the creed. <laughs> And uh, when they came to that point, they were going along, and then they came to that point, I believe in the Holy Ghost. This brother said, hey, hallelujah, I believe in the Holy Ghost too. (laughs) I believe in the Holy Ghost. (laughs) I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And praise God today, He is too glorious to hide. His sinless life, His sinless being, his glorious sacrifice, his triumphant resurrection. Oh, 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 in a few weeks' time, we'll be celebrating that event. Up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with the saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose, and he lives after the power of an endless life. Death hath no more dominion over him. He cannot be hidden. It was noised abroad that he was in the house. (laughs) If Jesus is in the house, everybody will know it. Hmm. And praise God, whenever the headhunters of Liberia saw Christ revealed through Harry and Ruth Garland. And the message that they presented, they were brought from darkness to light. You see, the Bible says, if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to those that are lost. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of those that believe not. But then it goes on to say, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Why we would ever want to hide Jesus? Hmm. You know, when Marshall started dating Jessica, he took her around and he thought she was the nicest thing he had ever seen. And he wasn't one bit ashamed. Jason, Justin, and Casey—they—they—they they, weren't a bit. They weren't a, Cassie, They weren't a bit ashamed to say, "Well, this is her," you know. And you know, we all feel like that a little bit, don't we? <laughs> or a big bit. <laughs> we, that's good. We're not ashamed of the spouse that God has given to us. You know something? I'm not ashamed to own my Lord, or to defend His cause. 
Maintain the glory of his cross and honor all his laws, for it was at the cross that I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm rejoicing all the day. The last thought is this. We have an adventure that is too exciting to miss. We have an adventure that is too exciting to miss. Could Andrew and Peter or James and John, who had plied their fishing nets at Galilee, gone home in the evening, mended nets, got back out on the little boats, in a few weeks' time we'll be there again with a group of 50 people in Israel, We'll be there for the 70th anniversary, the 14th of May. Uh, We're going to be landing there at Tel Aviv. And we're going to be at Galilee. Could they ever have thought that when Jesus said, Follow me, that the ministry that would issue out of their lives, just by leaving those nets and following him, would be such an adventure? Now, it wasn't all easy. But adventures are more than just sunshine. Sixty Years of Thorns and Roses was a book written by a man called E.E. E. Shellhammer. Thorns and roses go together. <laughs> yeah, we all have thorns and roses in our lives. We have the dark periods and the brighter periods. All sunshine makes a desert. God sends difficult times, but it's still an adventure. And my tomorrows are unknown to me, but with him at the helm of my life, it's always exciting. I never know exactly what's going to turn up. Just a couple of weeks ago, we, about a month ago through our radio program, we heard about a couple who had come to know the Lord. One, the husband, a year ago, been involved in Mormonism, he'd been involved in the troubles in our country, bitter heart, began to listen to the message of the gospel through the radio ministry. We've been doing it now since the year 2000, 18 years now. And he began to say, you know, this man has got something I haven't got. And then he was wonderfully saved a year ago. He had married a girl that he had met some years previously from Poland, who was a Mormon missionary to Northern Ireland. She had been 30 years in Mormonism. Three months ago, Evanon was wonderfully saved. And what a ministry she will have to Mormon people, bringing the gospel to them, as he will have reaching out to his people who come from a very different side of the spectrum. But it's the adventure of doing this and picking up the phone and talking to this guy, Brendan Foster's his name, and hearing him tell his story, because as a little boy, when he was playing football with his brother, he got kicked in the eye and lost the sight of both eyes. And so he grew up as a blind man, and now he's probably in around 50 years of age, just converted a year ago, and whilst he may not see with these eyes, praise God, the eyes of his heart have been opened. And the light has shone in. And to me, that's an adventure. The adventure of serving the Lord. Would you want to miss an adventure? 
No, you wouldn't, sister. Praise the Lord. You're at least one. That's one ready for the adventure. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Anybody else like to be on the adventure of going with Jesus where he wants you to go? Because there is a humanity that is too precious to neglect. We do have a remedy that is too wonderful to withhold. You ever got a salesman who's 100% convinced in the product he's selling? Somewhere maybe in the back of his mind he might have a little reservation. I have no reservations in the back of my mind about the product that I'm presenting. (laughs) Because it's not about me. And it's not about a man-made thing. It's about a God-created message and a God-given Son who is just the answer to all the needs of a poor, perishing humanity, who is too wonderful, too glorious to hide, and who's saying to us today, come, follow me. Let me take you on an adventure. Let me take you out of yourself and into myself. And let's go out into the fields, as we read in the beautiful Song of Solomon. Let's go into the fields. Let's go into the villages. And let's reap a harvest for the Master. Amen? Amen. Amen. He must needs go through Samaria. How is he going to go through the Samarias of our world? He wants to walk through them in your shoes in your life, and you become the touch paper. You become the link to the poor woman of Samaria and others like her that are all over the world, in Thailand, Mexico, Africa, India, the United States of America. The need is tremendous The hour is late. The adventure is great. Join the team. Be part of the joy. That sower and reaper will rejoice together in the day of harvest. Amen. Thank you for your attention. I hope you grasp most of what I said.